Um, I know there will be an opportunity after the service um, uh, to meet down the back and have some morning tea, so that will be good. Um, This morning, just as we're in worship, um, I'm not sure how I should even introduce this or even say it, but I'll, I'll just say it. I think that's probably the best idea. I really had a strong impression upon me that there's someone here this morning um, with a broken heart. And I asked the Lord, can you give me a little bit more than that? That would be helpful. (laughs) But I sense that uh, maybe somebody has received some news that has really had a, a, a powerful impact upon them. And there's a sense of grief and sadness that's just come on you. And so um, I'm going to continue to step out in faith here and just say this. If that is you, the Lord's with you. wants to let you know that he's... Uh, He knows how your heart is broken. Now, I'm not going to suggest that after the service just to stroke my ego and to build my faith that you come and talk to me after the service. I'm not going to suggest that at all. I'm just going to put it out there and uh, just to let you know that the Lord's with you. I want to uh, just say also thank you so much to Leone for last Monday evening. What an amazing prayer time we had. That's the, can I just say, that's the second most significant time. The one before that Mary led was just wonderful. And uh, then on uh, Monday night last was excellent as well. And then on Tuesday, a handful of us, Uh, just went up to Mount Boyce. Um, And Mount Boyce, of course, is the high area um, of the Western Road, I think. And um, and so we felt very uh, strongly that we should meet there and claim that land and that place again for the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of this stuff we do just by faith. I mean, we're, we're not gunslingers. <laughs> we don't go looking for a fight. I somehow sense that that's what the Holy Spirit is asking us. And have you ever noticed sometimes the things that God asks you to do just seem quite bizarre? Um, but it requires a step of faith. Um, And all we can do is step out in faith and um, try not to be presumptuous, but to be humble, to submit ourselves humbly to the Lord and see how he might lead us and guide us. So, um, yeah, we are in a spiritual battle. There's no question about that. But as I said to someone just recently, if you read the last, chapter, the last book of the Bible, we know who wins. 
and we are on the winning side. And uh, the Lord has won already the victory. So um, we're just ratifying his victory um, in all that we do. But the enemy is really strong uh, at the moment. And let me suggest, um, out of just my experience, uh, personally, and just as walking with uh, brothers and sisters over many years, you may be strong in your faith and be able to resist what the enemy is doing. And you may be so aware of his schemes that you can stand against them. But your children may not be. And I've said this a thousand times and I know that it'll come back to bite me because our mutual enemy does not like us to uncloak him But if he can't get to us, he'll get to our kids. He'll get to our grandkids. He's a gutter fighter. Extremely patient. Maybe I should just say he's a gutter rat. Because that's exactly what he does. He waits for opportunity. And of course, when Jesus was tempted and sorely defeated Satan, Luke records that the devil left him and waited for a more opportune time. So he's never in a hurry and he sets himself up really well. And that which Michael read out, that email, if you've been here over the past a few weeks, they were the very sermons that were preached. Um, Daniel Thomas preached out of Colossians 3, verses 1 to 17. And of course, that email referred to Colossians 3, 1 to 3. And you'll recall Daniel talking about that. And then a communion saying, what do we got to do, guys? Got to lift our eyes. Trouble is, we've got our eyes down. We're always seeing what happens here and, 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 and feeling powerless. So we need to lift our eyes to where Jesus is and acknowledge him. And then we will have strength. And God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome. And then, of course, um, Steve, several weeks ago, spoke about spiritual warfare and how we should put on our armor and stand against the enemy because he does have schemes for each one of us and that wearing the, the armor, we can stand manfully and victoriously against the schemes of the devil. And then, of course, uh, I was talking about the attack on our minds. That's where the battlefield is, of course, in our minds. And the enemy seeds our minds with discouragement. 
and they come. That discouragement. You know, if the enemy had one powerful weapon in his arsenal, it would be discouragement. You know that, don't you? My brothers and sisters up there, you know that. Yeah. Discouragement. And so he speaks that into our minds and gets us down. And that causes us to keep our eyes down when we should be lifting them up to where our Lord is. Oh, he's with us. Absolutely. But when we're encouraged to look up to where he is, then we know he's sovereign over everything. Sovereign over your life, over my life, over this church, over the direction of this church, over the future of this church. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. He is the Lord. There is no one like him. No one can stand against him. And he's your Lord and Savior, Jesus. He's Jesus. He's the same one who came to you at one time and said, come, follow me. And you fell in love with him like that. In an instant, your heart beat faster than it ever did. In an instant, you saw him and loved him and you knew that you were deeply loved by him. I pray that we will never, ever lose that. And sometimes when we are up against it, you remember the great love that the Lord Jesus Christ has for you. God's got this church right in the palm of his hand. And so we're confident about the future, are we not? Are we confident about the future? Amen. We surely are because God is with us. And so we thank you, Lord. Thank you for all of your love and your grace and your mercy for each one of us. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you defeated Satan upon the cross when you bore our sin and our punishment. We thank you that you led him in public display. It was a spectacle. You defeated him soundly. And in so doing, you are leading us in the train of your victory. We are victors. We are conquerors through you who loved us and loves us. And I pray, Father, that each of us here this morning will be so built up in our, in our faith in you, in our hope in you, our trust in you, that we'll leave this building this morning rejoicing, knowing that you are with us. And Father, for that one, if there is that one here this morning with that broken heart, Lord Jesus, you said, that you had come for the brokenhearted and you've come for that person. 
And I pray, Lord, that your healing grace through your presence may lift them up and bring them hope, bring them joy instead of grief and pain. Grant them your grace at this time. And that's our prayer, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, what I'll do is I'll just pull out about three or four sheets out of my sermon now. <laughs> Let's see how fast I can talk, all right? So hang on to your chairs. <laughs> okay, well, um, we're continuing to look at 1 Corinthians. We're up to chapter number uh, chapter 6. Last week we looked at one, verses 1 to 11. And I want to say um, this because we never got to finish last week where Paul is um, talking about lawsuits and the way in which we treat one another, encouraging us to love one another and work things out between ourselves. And uh, that's the way the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to do it. And uh, not to take one another to court um, over trivial matters. If there's, of course, a, a, a criminal element to what is happening, that is a different thing altogether. But at the end of the chapter, he says, Don't you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers. What a list! My goodness gracious! Will inherit the kingdom of God. And hold on to your hats here. That's what some of you were. But you were washed. God has forgiven us in Christ. He's cleansed us. You were sanctified. God is making us holy. There's a work of change taking place within us by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God, and you were justified, sins forgiven, where being a holy people of God, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. So here's this church, this church that's made up of some of these people. My goodness gracious me. And yet God in His grace and through the power of the gospel, has saved a number of people out of this immoral city, Corinth. And his grace has been extended to them. You go back into chapter 1, and we read about this grace of God that's come to the Christians at Corinth. And yet the Christians of Corinth were living immoral lives, they were arguing and fighting over preachers. They were uh, taking one another to court. Um, they had a man who was living and sleeping with his stepmother. Um, and now, this morning, we're going to look at the whole area of, of the sexual immorality that was in the church. And in in case we get all puffed up here this morning and go, oh, we're nothing like that. We've just got to be careful. 
That's what the Word of God is given to us for. So that we might live a life as it's reflected in the person of Jesus firstly, but in the Word of God, a life that brings honor and glory to the Lord. That's what you want to do. That's what I want to do. And so I asked last week, if you were Paul, how would you go about resolving the issues in the Corinthian church? What would you do? I think I'd just get a bomb and throw it in there. <laughs> just start all over again. Shall we start all over again? Let's excommute the, cape, the whole lot of them and let's start all over again. But that wasn't uh, what Paul did. Paul sought to instruct and to teach. Yeah, to discipline all of those kinds of things to try and bring them back to understand who they were in Christ, what their identity was, and then to live it out with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's a good reminder because when we understand who we are in Christ, then every aspect of our lives, in our relationships, our morality, our words, our attitudes, our work ethic and the way in which we manage our money and our possessions, everything, everything of who we are will honour Christ and bring him glory. And truly, that's the bottom line for you. That's what you and I want to do, don't we? We want to honour our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the way we honour him is to live the way he wants us to live and to be the people he wants us to be. So following on from last week, this morning, I'd like just to take uh, just a few minutes just to talk a little bit about um, the sexual immorality that was seeping into the church at Corinth there and about our own bodies as being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, some background might be helpful uh, because we need to understand where Paul is coming from, why he's raising this particular issue in the church. So, Corinth had a reputation as a prosperous city, but it was the byword for evil. The name Corinth became an alternative word for immorality. In fact, the words to Corinthianize were used to describe an act of sexual immorality. And the name Corinthian girl wasn't the name of the horse in the stable next to black caviar. It wasn't like, and here comes Corinthian girl on the outside. Corinthian girl was an alternative for a prostitute. So the temple of the loved goddess Aphrodite was at the heart of the city and it did a brisk trade with about a thousand temple prostitutes descending on the city every night looking for business. And the temple gave Corinth its reputation for gross immorality. And that is the background 
for which Paul is writing and speaking of in this particular passage. Let's have a look at the passage. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. But not everything is good for you. Amen? (laughs) And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say, food was made for the stomach. Amen? And the stomach for food. This is true. Though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality, that they were made for the Lord. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts and members of Christ? So, should I take part of Christ and join him to a prostitute? Never! And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, she becomes a part of him and he becomes a part of her? For God tells us in the scriptures that in his sight, the two become one. But if you give yourself to the Lord, you and Christ are joined together as one person. That is why I say to run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and has given to you and by God? Do You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So use every part of your body to give glory back to God. Because he owns it. (laughs) Because he owns it. Now out of this immoral, corrupt city, God by his grace calls a church forth. A church is born. But it's not long before the believer's Uh, began to feel the surrounding culture exerting this powerful um, pressure on them to conform to the sexuality, uh, the immoral sexuality in Corinth. It's In short, this few short uh, verses that Paul is speaking of here gives us a biblical basis for sexual immorality. And as Christians, why should we keep well away even when it's so uh, a part of our culture 
and very common in our culture today. Well, there are three things very quickly that I need to say to you this morning and we want to have a look at from this passage. The first is sexual immorality is a sin against yourself, verses 6 to 12. Uh, Sexual immorality is, is a sin against God, 13 and 14. And sexual immorality is a sin against the Holy Spirit. And we'll have a look at that in those verses as well. Firstly, uh, sin is, uh, sorry, sexual immorality is a sin against yourself. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Now, this is their first mistake, okay? The Corinthian Christians believed that they were free to do whatever they wanted to do, whatever pleased them. Everything was permitted. Everything was on the table, so to speak. I'm allowed to do anything. That was their kind of catch cry. But we know that that's not right. And a little bit earlier on I said, we know that we can't do anything, everything, and everyone went, yeah, amen. Because not everything is good for you. That's Paul's argument. You might be allowed to do everything, but even then you're not really. Because we know there are some things that are not permissible for Christians to do. We're not free to do them. So he says, so you might say that you're free to do them, but hang on for a second, not everything is good for you, and we know that. And he says there's a much higher standard for a Christians. For Christians, There's a much higher standard for you and I. So my question is, how do we know what conduct is beneficial or detrimental to us? And I think Paul sheds a little bit of light on this when he says, I will not become a slave to anything or be mastered by anything. I'm not going to become a slave. So, do you remember Jesus saying in his Sermon on the Mount, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. So, if God is our master, then we will in no way want to serve another. God is everything. He's He's everything to us, so we're not going to be looking for something else or someone else to give our devotion and our everything to. Jesus, in this passage, is not necessarily referring to a person, although he could be, but he's not necessarily so. So he might be really Uh, talking about what is more than likely a passion or a pursuit of something other than a growing relationship with Jesus that appeals to our self-centeredness. Something we would tend to think of as not much of a big deal. It's not a big deal. How many have you heard other Christians talk about, you know, the things that they're doing and and you know um, there's something not quite right there? It just doesn't seem as if that's what Jesus would have us do and live. 
and they go, well, 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 it's not a big deal. But you see, that's the attitude of the Corinthians. It's, it's not a big deal. Uh, what the heck? There are a thousand prostitutes coming down the city every night. It's not, what's the big deal? A brief visit to one of them? That's, that's a nothing. You know, for goodness sake, I can do everything, anything. It's permissible. Everything's on the table. And Paul's saying, oh, no, 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 not everything is on the table. This is not right. This is not who you are. You are in Christ. You and Christ have become one. Would you take Christ and join Christ to a prostitute? That's his argument. So Paul has a very different perspective on sexual immorality. Morality, immorality I should say, is a moral surrender which leads to bondage. I surrendered to it and at first it just seems innocuous. It's only once maybe, or maybe twice, maybe three times, whatever, and then all of a sudden you become a slave to it. And this is what Paul is saying. Whatever you give yourself to, you become a slave to. This is what Jesus is saying. You can't serve two masters. Who are you going to serve? You're going to serve Jesus or you're going to serve your own carnal desires or your own ego or your own ambitions. This is what Jesus or your own addictions. So this is this is what Paul is trying to say, and he's saying it to us today, two thousand years plus. It's still relevant to us sitting here in this church. And truly, I said to the Lord yesterday, driving uh, my daughter uh, to work, Lord, my goodness, great, I'm, I'm talking to a whole heap of people <laughs> on Sunday morning and, and, and they're all in you and, and they're living the lives. And the Lord said, you've got to be faithful to the word. You need to preach the word. Let it fall where it falls. And God's grace will be with them. So all I can say is that sometimes immorality is, is just this moral surrender which then leads to slavery, to bondage. Virtually every stumbling block known to man can be described as an addiction. Every stumbling block. So what's the key? to end these addictions. Let's get them done and dealt with. How do we do that? Well, I believe I'm right in saying that they end when we set aside all the other masters and we humbly hand our lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you might think, oh, my goodness, I thought you were going to give me three steps here and they would be, you know, really hard to do. And, and then if I did them, I could feel so well justified. And all you're saying is just surrender to Jesus? Yes. And I think that's all that Jesus would ask as well. Just come to me. Just come to me. Know who you are. 
You're a child of God. You're my son or you're my daughter. Just come to me. Everything is fine. I love you. And I have the power to be able to break whatever bondage. But you must get rid of that other master. You can't serve them. You can't be, yes, I'm over here, Lord, with you. And it's, well, then I'm back over there as well. And then I'm back over here. And then I'm back over there. You can't vacillate between these masters. Either Jesus is or he's not. Again, it's a little bit like surrender, isn't it? You can say to yourself, Lord, I'll surrender 90% of my life. (laughs) That means you haven't surrendered at all. (laughs) It's 100%, isn't it? And that's why there's such a struggle in our lives. Because that old self just keeps rising up, doesn't it? wants to take back a percent or two. And so it is. It's turning away from one master and then coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so let me just wind up here a little bit. Is living out who we are, is what I am doing contributing to my own spiritual growth and maturity? Is what I'm doing contributing to the growth and maturity of others is what I'm doing furthering the gospel is what I'm doing honoring God so sexual immorality is an offense against God as well you say food for the stomach and the stomach for food but God will destroy pardon me uh, them both The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God will raise the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. God made our bodies for his purpose, ultimately to bring glory to himself. Now, this is Paul's bottom line in verse 20, which we'll have a look at in a minute, therefore glorify God in your bodies. Now, my body is for God's purpose. So therefore, I will seek to glorify God in my body. And I will use my body to serve God. Now, in this Okay, so our bodies are, uh, the reason why I keep going back and forth here, I just put the pages in the wrong place. But I think I'm handling it all right, aren't I? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going like this and you're going, what are you doing? So it's just that I put four before, before three and things like this. But I'm doing all right. <laughs> so your body is important to the Lord. My body is important to the Lord. And the scripture says, that the Lord cares about our bodies. My goodness gracious, Mary. You know, when you, think of, when, I, when you think of prayer ministry for healing, we all kind of think sometimes that the Lord really doesn't care. What? You know, because, you know, this body is all wearing out. And, you know, and I've got aches and pains. Well, that's what happens when you get old like Paul. And you, you know, you just feel... 
What are you shaking your head for? Yes, yeah, he's just fallen off his perch. <laughs> so, but the Lord cares about our bodies. Do you want to get that again? The Lord cares about our bodies. So that's why we say come and have prayer for healing. Why? I thought you were going to say the Lord cares about our bodies. <laughs> That's all right. I'll just do, look like the village idiot up here going, the Lord cares about our bodies. And Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Food and water are essential for us to survive. However, there's an important lesson here which we see throughout the Bible and that is this, that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. However, what's more important than is that our bodies need God more than they need physical food and water. Why? Because he is the source of our whole lives, our spiritual lives. He is the source of our spiritual life. He is the source of our physical life. And he is the source of our eternal life. Physically, God sustained the Israelites in their wilderness journey with bread from heaven. I'm looking around here this morning and I think you all look a pretty good sustained lot of people. I think God is really looking after you and me. I don't think I'm going to pass away from lack of food. God is sustaining us physically, spiritually and eternally. Jesus told the Jews who wanted to him to do this other miracle. One more time. Come on. One more time. A thousand people. Feed a thousand people. Just one more time. Come on, Lord. You can do it. Give us another miracle. Ha oh, ha. Come on. And Jesus said to them, Wow, my goodness. I am the bread of life that has come down from heaven. I am the bread of life, he said to them. And I will give you life. And a little bit later, he says to them, so what you need to do is you need to eat me and drink me. And of course, that's where the Roman Catholics went off and said, yeah, that's what we've got to do in the Mass. We've got to actually eat Christ and drink his blood because the prayer that is prayed over the cup or those elements, they're tr transformed into the blood of Christ and into the body of Christ, whereas you and I, only we take communion and we remember using the elements. And so Jesus says, you know, I am the bread of life. Eternally, he was the water. And he was the one, uh, Jesus, who said to the woman at Samaria, when she said, give me this water that I may live. And he said, hello, I am the water, the spring of life for all who will come to me. So he is the source of our life. 
He's everything. Jesus is everything. He's everything. He's everything to you. He's everything to me. He's your breath. He's your hope. He's your joy. He's your peace. He's your strength. Jesus is everything. I'm preaching to the choir, but don't you get excited when you think about that? He's everything to us. The Bible in Romans 6 and 12 and 13, Paul says, don't, do not let sin control the way you live. Don't become enslaved. Don't let it control you. Do not give in to your sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God. Here's this surrender. Give yourself completely. Don't hold back. Give, it, give it everything. Give everything to God. For you were dead, but now you have a new life. Hallelujah. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Amen. So let me just finish here. I'm almost done. Um, let's have a look. What, who or what? is in control of your life? Just some questions. Is it some sinful habit or is it the Holy Spirit? God has given you a new life. How are you living it? Okay, and here we go. Sexual immorality is a sin against the Holy Spirit. That is why Paul is saying, that is why I say to run, to run from sexual sin. Who ran from from temptation in the Old Testament. Joseph. Joseph, you're right, Charlie. Joseph. Joseph went. <laughs> he picked up his skirts and he headed out of the palace. He ran like crazy without his cloak because yeah, Potiphar's wife grabbed that and then accused him of rape. But that is why I say to you, run Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body. God cares about the body, right? And sin, sexual sin, has an effect on the body. <laughs> Sorry, I'm smiling and laughing at the moment. You know, I shouldn't, but when I was in youth ministry, thank you, Rosemary, when I, when I was in youth ministry, the Lord just... No. I, I, could, I could tell if there were young people in our youth group who were involved in sexual immorality. You want to know how? The light goes out. The light goes out. Their face just loses the glow of Christ. Just the light goes out. And so sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. The light goes out, guys. It goes out. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's nothing. It's sad. 
Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So use every part of your body to give glory back to God because he owns it. No greater and more amazing truth with the power to shape our attitudes about sexuality and about anything is to remember the cost of our salvation. God bought you with a great price, with a high price. That high price was the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. How much are you worth? What's your value? Well, sometimes we beat ourselves up because we don't see any value in us and we feel worthless. And yet God has a high value and placed a high value on you and me. And your value and your worth is seen through Jesus, through God sending Jesus for you and for me. We were bound up in sin and Jesus came to set us free. And Paul said, so don't go back. Don't go back into slavery. Don't go back into um, becoming a slave to sin against again. You were once bound up. Jesus has set you free. So live in that freedom. Live in that freedom. What an amazing truth is that God through the Holy Spirit lives in you and he lives in me. What an amazing thought. You know, um, Solomon, when he was dedicating the temple, this magnificent temple, he said, you know, and will God live in a temple? He who is in the highest of heavens and the highest of heavens and the highest of heavens, will he come and live in a temple? No way. If God came and lived in one particular place, I think the place would explode, wouldn't you? With his glory. Now, answer me this question. Why aren't you splattered all over the universe? Because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. Do you see the miracle of that? Do you see that the glory of God in the person, the Holy Spirit, is in you? And you're not exploded all over the universe. The power of God is in you. The dunamis, the dynamite of God, the power of God. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Spirit of grace, the Spirit of Prayer, the spirit of peace, the spirit of fire is in you. The God, the creator, the sustainer of the universe is in you. He who fills the universe, as Paul says, is in you and he's in me. Wow! 
Amazing. I don't mind if you get up on the chairs and you scream and shout and say, it's amazing, Graham. (laughs) Marie, bless you, thank you. (laughs) It is amazing. Let me finish reminding you of what I said at the beginning. I said, because when we understand or when we understand who we are in Christ, then every aspect of our lives, such as our relationships, our morality, our words, our attitudes, the way we think about things and of people, our worth ethic, and the way we manage our money and our possessions, everything, 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 tell yourself, everything of who we are will honor the the name and the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't that our highest aim, our truest aim? So we thank you, Father, for your word this morning. It strengthens us and blesses us, and we thank you for it. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. Again, I just want to remind you um, about this evening as we uh, take uh, time just to, not just a farewell, Bannett, but to say thank you. To say thank you to him. So um, if you're able to be here, six o'clock tonight, I think it's going to be a really...